Welcome to the Stilettos in South podcast. My name is Christy. I'll be your host. And with me is my co-host, Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Ready for a West Coast game that will put me to bed way past my bedtime. In fact, these games start past my bedtime. Same. And I... (laughs) I was telling my husband too, because when you do it, when I do my takeaway articles, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, I get home from Prudential Center usually between 1230 and 1am, depending if I stop and get food afterwards, which normally I do because I'm starving at that point. And by the time I actually write my article, I'm not going to bed till about maybe three, four in the morning. Oh, that is my hell. It is. No. <laughs> I love my sleep. So a game like this, I'm actually doing the takeaway article for the Devil's Ducks game. So I'm like, all right, it's starting at like 10. I said, okay, I'll be up to three or four. So I'm not looking forward to it. Oh yeah. That's uh same here, but you know, it's, at least it's a weekend. I mean, in my world, really, what is a weekend in the service industry? So, you know. Same. It's either game day, practice day, like week, like days of the week just don't exist to me anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a what's going on that day, day. Exactly. So we have to, now that they are on their California road trip, we have to talk about this. The Devils have a very interesting home versus road record. At Prudential Center, they are 11, 10, and 2. But away, 15, 2, and 1. And I kind of look at this, and I feel like there's certain questions you can ask players and coaches, and they kind of don't have an answer for you. And I feel like this is one of them because when Nico was asked before they left for Carolina, like, what is it that is making you guys so successful on the road? His response was, we play smart road games. We play with confidence. We play with like a deep first mentality and we try not to make too many mistakes. And the mindset is a little different on the road, but everything up until that point, why wouldn't that apply to them playing in front of their fans at Prudential Center? I have no idea, but I would do the old, I don't know if you remember this, the old Lou Lamarillo routine when they were real good on the road and weren't so good at home. He would put them in the hotel next to the Meadowlands on the night of every single game. Uh, And he would do that in the playoffs too, whether they were good or bad on the road. Like the team stayed in a hotel. There's a hotel next to Prudential Center. I would try it. I'd try it for a week and see what happens. I mean, what, what, why not? And I do agree with Coach Ruff, who was asked the same question. And Ruff's response was, the team plays simple on the road. He goes, you know, you're jacked when you're at home, you're in front of your fans, and sometimes you have that, I guess, drive maybe, and that's my wording, not his, to put on a show. And I think fans have seen that, especially on the power play at home, where they're making those special passes, and they're passing maybe that one, two, too many times because they're looking for the perfect shot instead of just kind of getting the puck on the net, which is really what you need to do. So I wonder if that is something to do with it as well. It certainly could be, you know, um, especially with a young team, you could see that, you know, you get all jacked up. You're like, oh, I'm ready to go, ready to go. And then they come out, loud crowd, you know, more people in the building than it's been in the last three years. Let's be totally honest here. Um, you know, it, myself included, I'm guilty of that. I've been to seven games already this year. Last year, it would have been one. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's natural. You're excited. At, you're, you're ready to go. You're in front of your people. And there's also something to be said for, uh, I think it's not just hockey. I think it's a lot of games like American football, uh, hockey, even uh, European football. The the mentality of like coming down, coming out and just slowing everything down on the road, right? Just kind of take the crowd out of it. Be boring. Let them get bored. Just, you know, that's been a tried and true technique forever. And I, I think it's just something that gets overlooked often. 
Yeah, I agree with you. But it is, it's one of those things where, like I said, I think you can ask it as many times as you want and you're never going to get an answer because you obviously, the success that you have on the road, obviously you want that at home. You don't want the losses to pile up in front of your home fans that are spending the money to come and watch you play. So it's definitely one of those weird things about hockey that we'll probably never really have an answer to. Um, but you know what? The Metropolitan Division is so tight right now that get as many points as you can. This might be a really good – this has potential to be a very good road trip for this team, especially with the Ducks who are struggling. L.A., I always say, is a very sneaky team. You don't know what you're going to get with L.A. And Seattle, they're on a whole new level right now. People need to put respect on the Seattle Kraken at the moment. Yeah, they're playing very good hockey uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, I, I think you're going to see backup goalie tonight against Anaheim. Uh, I haven't looked at anything much today. Uh, guilty of having a lot going on, but I'm assuming they're going to go Blackwood tonight and then um, kind of figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. If that's what I would do. I, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I have to, I want to ask rough too. what, when you have two healthy goaltenders, what goes into the decision to start one over the other? Do you look at kind of how they historically have played about, like versus that team because we do see throughout the league there are certain players that just perform very well against certain teams yeah i'd look at a combination of that and who's rolling mm-hmm. you know if, if you've got a uh, what's supposed to be a 1a and 1b goaltending tandem you kind of ride the hot hand and then supplement the other guy in when it makes sense uh, i'm not familiar with blackwood's numbers against the ducks offhand um, so I don't know if he's tremendously good or bad against them. It just, you know, my head says you can beat the 2023 Ducks with your backup goalie. Yeah, but you also have to show up. Oh, for I sure. The Ducks, the Ducks were a team that they um, they actually didn't earn their first regulation win of the, of the season until I think November. Oh, was it that late? It was late. Ooh. And I think their victory came, I want to say it came over the Rangers. Don't quote me on it. Don't come for me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was the Rangers. So, and the Rangers are a solid team. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're right there with us as far as standings go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm Again, I'd like to see New Jersey. They seem psyched to go to the West coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, I thought I saw Jack crack a smile in an interview, which might've been the first time all year unless it's one of those like yep happy to be the first star we did great i'm out of here <laughs> i will say after uh the one game jack met with the media and he he was very good he was very very good with the media so i will say that now if the team wants to rack up these points in for their california trip there's one player that i know you like to talk about that needs to show up and that is jesper Pratt. yes Yes, Jesper Brett needs to, and which is funny, I was looking at a lot of his stats recently, and his, like, secondary game stats are all really, really, really good. And I brought this up to you earlier via text message. Like, the numbers are great, but for some reason, that's not a player you think of as, like, someone who's responsible defensively who could potentially play a penalty kill. Like, I kind of view him as one of those guys who, if he's not scoring or kind of creating offensively what is he really doing but the numbers say my eyes are wrong (laughs) and i'm very confused by this they were talking on one of the most recent broadcasts it might have been the last game in carolina how they were saying that brat is one of the most defensively like sound forwards in the league and i you're right i don't think that's what you think of 
No. And you think just for Brad? No, not at all. I don't even like, it's not even something I've noticed. Now I've never really tried to notice it, but usually when guys are making solid little hockey plays in the neutral zone or along the boards, I go, Ooh, look at that nice little play. And, and I just, I noticed those little things just from, you know, years of watching and playing. Um, but I, I don't necessarily see him do that. I don't necessarily see him make bad plays though, either. So could it be, he just doesn't make any bad plays ever. That could be, that could be it. He's and never I, necessarily making the good play. It's just, he never makes the wrong play. I think with him too, when you think of him, you think of just being a real, like a smaller speedy forward. Yeah. Like you, when you think brat, you think like a breakaway. Yeah. I think a breakaway, I think, you know, neutral zone, steal, take off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see him kind of come out of the corner sometimes off the cycle and, and that dart to the net in between a guy or catches somebody out of position. But I don't think, you know, he's going to back check you to death. No. And when I not was, at all. No. When I was on Twitter earlier, I saw something that was interesting and they were saying how he's very streaky and that he kind of disappeared when the team needed him the most during their losing streak when he went a little cold from December 12th to December 17th. Now, I will say that prior to that December 12th, where he, you know, those four or five games where he didn't register a point, he did not go more than one game in October up until that point without a point. He might have went one game, but he didn't go two. And during that, you know, that skid, Nico had a goal and Jack had two goals. And the argument was you need your big players to show up. When you're not getting the secondary scoring, you need your, your top guys to show up. And the argument was that Brat did not show up during that duration. But in fairness, a lot of a lot of the guys have been streaky. Sharon Govich has been very streaky. Boquist has been streaky. So when it comes to Brat, and I know that you've hinted at this in our other episodes, is he worth the same amount of money as Nico and Jack? No, not at all. Not at all. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a passenger that can keep the train going. Like he can get on the train that's rolling and shovel coal into the engine, but he's not going to start it from scratch, at least not yet. And, you know, he wants eight, $9 million a year. And I think you're nuts. If you give him that much money, you can't pay him more than Jack Hughes, period. You can't do it. So what would, who would you compare Brat to in the league? Ah, I don't, off the top of my head, I, I really would have a hard time, but like monetarily, you know, if he, if he wants to sign for, you know, five by six and a half to seven, I think that's more than fair, but you can't live in a world where Jasper Brett's making more than Jack Hughes. And the, the output is just starkly different because it's never going to, he's never going to be that. Well, what I think is interesting too, is I I said this, I believe over the summer, Tage Thompson last season had a breakout year very similar to brat and the respect that it was a breakout year on a team that did not do well Mm -hmm. and when he i think what was he had he had 68 points in 78 games last season and the sabers rewarded him after one breakout year with his seven-year 50 million dollar contract and when that contract was announced people that weren't really paying attention to the sabers lost their mind thinking that Buffalo lost it, that they gave him that much money for one year. Because a lot can happen in the NHL. We've seen players have really strong years and then kind of, you know, 
fall off in like, you know, a little bit. And I said, if the devil locked Brat in last year for an eight year deal, that would, it would be the same reaction as Tage Thompson. That you're locking in this guy after one breakout year on a poor team. Now, obviously, everything's working well for Thompson because he already has, I think, over 30 goals and 57 points in 40 games. So clearly that worked out and Buffalo saw something that nobody else did because nobody thought that he was going to be worth that kind of money. Is Brat in that category? No. I, I, I Jesper Brett can't just score at will, at least not yet. It, it, at least he hasn't showed it. Tage Thompson can just score the puck. He's also a significantly larger person. Um, I, I, I have a, he is, who is he a big boy? Uh, and I, he might, you can argue he's not even done filling out yet. He, that he could put on another 20 pounds of muscle and be a real issue. I mean, a real issue to play against with you have that skill. He's not, outrageously fast but god for his size is he quick um i i wouldn't want to play against him for the next 10 years to be totally honest with you but again that's that's you're you're comparing apples to golf balls in a lot of ways i i I think jesper brad is a is a great wingman for one of your superstars he's not one of your superstars fair enough i think what's interesting too is so he has 40 points already he has 15 goals 25 assists he has six power play goals, which is tied for first on the team with Nico. And he has 17 power play points, which is first on the team tied with Dougie Hamilton. What I always say about Brat is he's not a flashy player. No, that's, that's accurate. He's going to collect the points, but he's not flashy. He's not in the realm of a Jack or a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews. Like he's not that kind of player. Yeah, he's he's not the the kind of player that imposes his will on you, definitely. Um, but but you know he's going to make the right play. The the problem with with this really isn't now. The problem with this you're going to run into in three years, four years when you've got contracts coming up, presumably for Simon Nemich, Luke Hughes, um, and a few other hopefully young folks. And now you're in a spot where you've got too many forwards, or you know you've got you can't keep your glue guys because you've got money tied up in other things. Like at some point you can't pay everybody. I'm not saying don't retain him. Don't pay him. But if somebody wants to be nuts and pay you, you know, uh, uh, offer sheet compensation, let them. Yeah. I, hundred percent. the more I learn and really pay attention to contracts and all the, things that you don't really they're secondary they don't really think of when you have these conversations I'm so happy I don't have to do any of these things because there's <laughs> so much to it that I just I can't handle it it's just way it's way too much the one thing that I am adamant about is I feel that eight-year contracts should be reserved for a certain player I don't think they should be handed out the way Oprah hands out cars yeah and we're we're getting there though now. we're getting we're there work- yeah, we're in a world where everybody wants, and I get it from the player's perspective. I absolutely understand getting the eight-year deal, getting all your money. And, you know, I completely understand it and don't blame the player whatsoever and want that stability in their life. But from my standpoint, I just don't like the eight-year contract. I feel like they never work out well. And the biggest example I can give is Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi with Minnesota. 
Those were even longer. I think those were eleven year deals. That was back in yeah. ye olden days yeah, when awesome. when the when the cap usurping was going on left and right with the Ilya Kovalchuk rejected deal and the later accepted deal for fifteen years. Was it? I don't even remember. But I it was ridiculous. Have I shared my Ilya Kovalchuk conspiracy theory with you? No, but let's go for it. Let's let's hit it since the subject came up. Okay, so I've got a theory that. Um, he signs that deal. His wife, I, I think they're still married, is some Russian pop star. He may or may not be into the Soviet mafia for whatever. It's always long been rumored that he was tied up with some Russian shenanigans. But regardless, I have a theory that he, a, a year after this, he goes to Lou and goes, I've made a terrible mistake. I, my wife doesn't like it here. I don't want to raise my kids in America. Like, I, you know, I'll play for another five, six years, but then like, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm going to go back to Russia. And Lou, understanding the cap ramifications of him even playing a single more year, said, go right now. That's my Ilya Kovalchuk conspiracy theory. I think he wanted to go after a few years and Lou said, do me a favor and go right now. Because it, I think it only costs a quarter of a million dollars long-term against the cap per year for him. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it's under a million. But if he'd played one more season, your dead cap hit would have been six million per season for the remainder length of his contract. So you'd still be paying $6 million a year for Ilya Kovalchuk. And you know what the best part of this is? Is because it's Lou, you'll never know. No, you'll never know. You'll but because never it's Lou, know. but because it's Lou, it's so plausible. It's so plausible. I love that you're going to die on this hill too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. I will absolutely die on the cell. Um, one of my, uh, one of my childhood friends, dad was the CFO of the whole Yankees nets merger back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. So I got to, I got to, as a young kid kind of be around Lou um, and it's, it's a hundred percent plausible. That is exactly the person that you're dealing with. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. 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 Thought about Leo Kovalchuk in so long. Yeah, that's my Ilya Kovalchuk conspiracy theory. It's like you I almost forgot that that whole thing actually happened. Actually, real quick, I have an Ilya Kovalchuk jersey. I'll show it to you. That I sat and took the name off of. This is a sewn on jersey. I sat and unstitched the nameplate and the front A when he left the team. Oh, you were like that bitter fan? I was not happy. I had spent a lot of money on that jersey and I liked it a lot. Did you? Yeah, you're, I took the nameplate off. Screw him. I'm not wearing. So now that. we know that you're that kind of fan. Oh, I'm a pro. I'm a problem. I burned a Kadarius Tony T-shirt when I went to my first Giants game after he left. I don't even know what to say to that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I still have my <laughs> I still have my Zach Parisi jersey in my closet. I don't fault him for a thing. I don't fault him, and I don't fault Taylor Hall uh, at all. Like Zach Parisi was wanted to go home to Minnesota to play hockey. That's totally fine. I have no problems with that. But if you screw me, you could die. Well, there you go. I oh, that, yeah. <laughs> I feel like most sports fans would agree with you, though, because the one oh, thing – we, We've talked about this before. I was never a sports fan growing up. So the idea and, like, the way sports fans carry themselves was very foreign to me. And I don't know if it's because I, I'm, I'm rational <laughs> and I don't know if like sports fans as a, as a group maybe aren't as rational, but we were talking ahead of the show and I was saying how when you go through the comments, it's hilarious to me that every, you know, when Catherine and Sam put out the line combinations ahead of the Devils playing Carolina, 
fans were not happy. And even I got a couple comments about, you know, Hall being with Hughes, because that's just what we have to go with at the moment. And saying, you know, Ruff needs to go, Ruff needs to be fired again, blah, blah, blah. When you go on any other team's Twitter page, it's the exact same thing. So apparently it doesn't matter if your team is first in their division, last in the league. It's consistently just bitterness across the board. Because what Devils fans were saying about their team that is currently second in the Metropolitan Division is the exact same thing that Ducks fans were saying about their team, their lineups, and their coach. And they are, I think, a bottom three team in the league. Yeah, I mean, and look, there. I remember a time where Devils fans were kind of above it all. Um, it, it sounds crazy. It is also pre-social media, too. But Devils fans were always like, sure, we win. All right, cool. Um, and it was always very like put on the back burner. Um, but like, you know, you're talking about the fan mentality. I can give you the number one uh, devil reclamation project will always and forever be Scott Gomez. He leaves, mm. he goes to the Rangers. And then at the end of his career, he comes back and has a couple of good seasons redeemed it all. <laughs> Valid. It's yeah. The fan mentality. I there's, it's just wild to me. If I was still taking psychology classes, that would definitely be a topic of an essay because it's just mind blowing to me. I mean, even after the devils beat the Carolina hurricanes, Carolina Hurricanes fans were on Twitter saying we have to blow up the team. I'm, what are you talking about? You're a cup contending team. What What are you doing? Yeah, it's that's. I think that's also part of the age in sports where we're so quick. I mean, you see it in the NFL with quarterbacks, like rookie quarterback, throw him in and play. You know, oh, the kid stinks. Yeah, of course the kid stinks. He doesn't know how to play the speed of the pro game. Um, and it's the same with everything, right? Like you one game and you're like, burn it down, everybody, burn it down. Uh, when when in reality, you know, you probably just need to tweak it here and there and then the engine will run really, really good. Um, and then the the Lindy thing is really, really starting to get to me at this point. Um, it, it, let's just all take our crazy hats off and put our logic hats on. Andrew Burnett is here for a reason. Everybody say it with me. Andrew Burnett is here for a reason. Take a breath, calm down. A guy like that doesn't just take a job without insurances. He's a Jack Adams finalist out of nowhere, has pretty much the pick of the litter at what he wanted to do. I'm assuming he could have taken a cruddy head coaching gig with a bad team. Um, but instead he comes to a team that clearly he, people were right about. The Devils are on the up. And it's an older coach that was brought in to kind of develop the youth and teach him how to win. Mm -hmm. And after this season, if Lindy's still the head coach, then you can start complaining because I don't think he's going to be. Yeah, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if Lindy makes a decision on his own to just say, you know, I don't, you know, the travel. Because, again, there's so many factors that you have to put into these conversations instead of it just being black and white of do you want to coach, do you not want to coach? Is it do you still want to – you want more time with your family? Do you not want to do the travel schedule? Do you want a front office job? It's just, it's just so funny to me how, like, opinions change period to period. It's just, it's wild for me to sit and just kind of watch everything just explode on Twitter when there's really no reason to, to hit the panic button the way you are. And you're going to disagree with me, which is fine. But I was talking with a couple people like in the media room last week, and we were saying how the Devils don't need to be the top team in the Metropolitan Division. When you've missed the playoffs, the amount of times that the Devils have in the past decade, the goal is to get in. Sure. That's the, the first goal. And additionally, you this is a team that's very good on the road. Would home, sure. home ice actually be an advantage? Statistically, yes, it is. 
statistically flat out, as far as numbers go, it is, it is an advantage. Um, I, I would have agreed with you coming into the year. Now I think this team's played well enough that if I'd like to see them finish in the top three of the division, I'm not saying they have to win it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, I think finishing in the top three of your division and earning a home playoff series is a hell of an accomplishment for this team. So I, I wouldn't want to go so far as to be like, even if they fall and make it in the wild card, that's great. Again, if we're not at this point in the season where we are, and it's the beginning of the year and we're just hoping a prayer, let's hope this team does well. Sure. But they put themselves in a position to do better than that. And I think at some point, like you do have to kind of push the goal goalposts a little further out. Right. Um, and, and sometimes it's even mid season. I mean, I, I'm a Giants fan. You saw that this year with the Giants. It wasn't just like, give me meaningful games in December, you know, by the first week of November, it was make the playoffs. And when, whereas in the beginning of training camp, it was like, look, let's go 500 ish and we'll all be happy. Uh, so I think there's nothing wrong with changing your expectations mid season. And I think that's just a testament to how well this team has played because before the season started, I asked uh, my Twitter followers what they would deem a successful 22, 23 campaign for the devils. And a lot of them said, you know, of course the goal is to always make the playoffs. That's a given, but sure. there were a lot of, people that said to me, I just want to see meaningful games in December and January. I just want to know that by the time the holidays hit, the team's not completely out of the playoff picture. So that regard, mission accomplished. Oh yeah, absolutely. The team did that and they're only getting healthier. Yeah. And that's that's a good thing. Eventually they're going to get John Marino back. And those two pieces are really going to help solidify the team. And I just released an article today and I think it was, Sorry, I'm just getting over being sick, so my mind's a little foggy. I think <laughs> the Devils this season, fans have only seen Palat and Bastion, so a full, healthy team of, of forward groups, four games this season. With a, Is that all? A fully healthy forward group, because Nico missed the first game, so he was out for that one. And, oh, yeah. And Palat only played um, six games before his injury, mm-hmm. and I think Bastion did not suit up for one of those games. Okay. But we really haven't seen the full the full forward group healthy, and that's something that fans should be looking forward to. Oh, agreed. And I think they've done a great job keeping themselves really relevant with Marino out of the lineup, who you could argue has been your best defenseman up until he got injured. Yes, um, I would make that. I would make that agreement as well. Absolutely. And the unfortunate thing is, neither one of the kids they called up really seemed to take the opportunity and run with it. I don't think either one of them really completely dropped the ball, no pun intended. Um, but the next time it's it's kid time, uh, it's it's Simon Nemich time. Well, I will tell you that before they left for their road trip, I did talk to Kevin Ball. And I asked him about kind of just the transition from AHL to NHL and things like that. And he said something very interesting to me. And I'm currently doing some background information on it. And I will have the article out in the next few days. Mm-hmm. But he did bring up a very interesting point to me that I had to dive deeper into. Because once again, I didn't even think of that until he explained it to me. I was like, okay, I completely get what you're saying here. We need to, because I like to give, you know, I like to give that perspective. Oh, I, sure. I want to end this episode on a hilarious note. Fans always want to see more personality from the players. That's the one thing I hear throughout the entire season is they want to know more about the players off the ice. And social media, as much as I hate it, is a very good outlet for this. And one of the TikTok videos they did, they asked the players who their what song is their favorite by Taylor Swift. And 
hilarious absolutely hilarious yeah they've done a good job with some of those fun videos this year um i i personally want to do like a day in the life in new jersey with yeager sharon govich there's something tells me that that would just be hilarious to watch him go about and do very stereotypically jersey things like get bagels get his dry cleaning order a sub sandwich like just very stereotypical jersey stuff but have him do it something tells me it would be very very funny so like anybody from the down, devils send him down to, to belmar get him in a club yes 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 yegor does the shore it writes itself people it does write itself and i think (laughs) the fact that he didn't even know who taylor swift was like i know he got he earned points with my husband my husband's like that and i believe him too i 100 percent believe him and the confidence of miles wood saying red which in my opinion is one of the correct answers just the confidence level of that man with that answer was just amazing i'm not up on my taylor swift i'm really gonna break a wall down here but i do know some of her earlier works and i find her to be a she's a solid songwriter but like if say if they were like what's your favorite taylor swift song i'd be like love story you would say oh i think that was ryan graves choice yeah i think it was too but like that would be my reaction i'd be like ah love story but i'd be able to name one a a lot of the guys who who are like i don't know i don't know they're liars they're all full of crap we know that your girlfriend plays that in the car Yo, it's Taylor Swift. You've heard a song. You can name a song. Um, I think I would actually, my answer would be, uh, is it Wildest Dream or Wild Dream? Wildest Dream, I think it is. And the only reason that's my answer is because Scott Eastwood was in the music video. I, I'm going to, I don't know that one. <laughs> that's that's pretty much all all I got. And I think that's a great point to end on. That is a great this point to end on. Hockey and Scott Eastwood, I think that's a great ending point for <laughs> the show that I host. <laughs> yep, we've got West Coast hockey all weekend. And then the odd four o'clock Monday start, which I guess is a one o'clock uh, West Coast MLK Day game. Yes. Um, conveniently for me, I'm off on Monday. So uh, give me an afternoon game. Girl. Oh yeah. That's the, right in the, right in the, there's nothing good on television time frame too. It's perfect. Exactly. It's right after my soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we will see you guys next week. Cheers guys. Bye.